Welcome to the Youth Sports Safety Update produced by the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program or JSMP in Jacksonville, Florida. JSMP is a nonprofit advocacy and prevention program dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and prevention. Joining us today, our guest is Devin Worthington. She's the assistant athletic trainer with the Jacksonville Jaguars here in Jacksonville. And they have just finished a very successful season and they're on to great things in the future. So, Devin, welcome. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey as an athletic trainer and how you got here today. Sure. First off, Jim, thanks for having me on. Um, and thank you to JSMP for, you know, allowing this opportunity in the community. I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I uh, went to Penn State University to do my undergrad. I got a bachelor's degree in athletic training. Um, I went on to get my master's degree at Clemson University while I worked as a GA in their sports medicine department. Um, from there, I bounced around a little bit. I did some time up in Buffalo, New York um, as a seasonal intern with the Bills and moved down to Atlanta. Um, spent a year and a half, roughly, um, in Atlanta doing some different things, specifically with Kennesaw State University. And I joined the Jacksonville Jaguars staff in August um, as an assistant athletic trainer. That's a wonderful journey and very inspiring uh, for anybody that wants to become an athletic trainer. You're one of our young professionals now. To the South, it's a lot warmer <laughs> down here, as you've you found out, than Buffalo. <laughs> a lot warmer, but I don't hate it, you know. Right. <laughs> the sun's so. nice in January. That's true. All right. So uh, we're talking about one of the five domains of athletic training since it's National Athletic Training Month in March. And we're talking about therapeutic interventions. That's a big word, but we'll discuss some of those and how they impact uh, the healing and recovery following an injury. A lot of injuries and post-surgical interventions involve the management of pain, range of motion, swelling, or fluid buildup, loss of function, and the like. How would you describe the thought process behind creating a care plan to manage these types of injuries? Sure. I think we start, um, you know, specifically here and throughout my career, I've seen it, you know, multiple ways, but it's kind of a melting pot of everything. Um, You like first start by, you know, assessing the severity of the injury, right? If this is going to be a week, two week deal versus maybe a long term, potentially with surgical intervention. Um, And then the care plan kind of goes as follows. You try to get rid of inflammation. You try to increase the range of motion um, from that athlete's perspective. And then as long as it's not going to be a surgical intervention, um, you try to get them strong, get them functional again, and then try to get them back on the field, you know, as soon as possible in a a safe range for, for the athlete and for the coaches and the athletic trainers. Okay. Uh, When I started uh, ice, Ice and stem was a big thing. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. we, won't, we won't talk about that. Ice is even controversial today, but uh, sure if it works, it works. But exactly. Okay. So um, we have a new thing that's been out for a few years called blood flow restriction. Uh, tell us a little bit about this and what are some of its benefits? Absolutely. Um, so for, for BFR, for those who don't know, um, it's a tourniquet system that is specialized um, based on the limb that you are using it on. It can be used in the upper extremity or the lower extremity, um, and it uses a certain pr- uh, percentage of pressure to basically occlude the limb that you are working on. So it's basically a giant blood pressure cuff squeezed pretty tight, um, and then you do a set and range of exercises. So typically, this sets um, go 30 uh, 30, the first set is 30 reps. The next three sets are 15 reps. And that is basically to decrease the load you are putting on the body, potentially coming back from a surgery or coming back in part of the rehab process in general, while still developing 
the hypertrophy level that you want. So still gaining that muscle size, that endurance that that muscle needs to return to play without having to, you know, maybe squat them or lift them at 500 plus pounds. It takes some of that load off of the body. We use it a ton here in rehab. So from post-surgical rehabs to short-term rehabs. Um, We have some guys who train with it on a weekly basis in season just because it does decrease that level of soreness that they experience because they aren't loading those muscles with super heavy weight in the weight room, but they're able to go into the weight room, reduce the weight, do the BFR and get that same kind of result as, you know, going into the, uh, going in there and lifting the same way, but that allows them, you know, Monday and Tuesday to not be so sore heading into a week's worth of practice. Um, we specifically use it a lot though in our post-op rehabs. So when they may not be able to be fully weight bearing or fully load bearing or potentially have full range of motion, we're able to put it in their upper extremity or their lower extremity and work them in a range that is safe for where they're at in their post-op protocol uh, while still gaining strength and endurance. That's a very interesting concept there. So uh, do you combine it with other treatments and modalities as well? Or is it, I guess it's a standalone activity and then you're using other modalities and treatments to bring that post-surgical patient, patient along. Absolutely. So we, um, I would say it's typically like in a, in a rehab process, we call it like a BFR day. So the majority of your exercises done that day, I'd say maybe three to four at max are being done with the BFR. So you don't, you may supplement with one or two in the beginning just to get the athlete or the patient kind of ready to go, but we're not going to do a ton of exercises, like stand alone and then add the BFR on the back end. It's a pretty fatiguing set of exercises. So we tend to do just that on that day for the rehab process, but we would pair it with things like laser or the Norma Tech boots or a game ready following kind of rounding out a whole day of care for that athlete while they are on a BFR day. We see a lot of these um, vibration massage guns. People carry them in their gym bags all the time and such. But uh, uh, therapeutic massage, we've seen the value of that. Um, I date myself. When I was first brought up as an athletic trainer, they said, uh, anybody that wanted a massage, go to the other end of the track and they'll take care of it for you there. <laughs> but uh, we had a we had a guru of, ath- of athletic sports massage. I don't know if you've ever heard of Benny Vaughn. Uh, excellent massage therapist, really brought the the art and science of massage for recovery, for uh, warm up, for all the aspects of it to light. And so, yes, you can teach an old dog new tricks. And uh, we learn a lot, great deal from Benny and, and those who have come along. So what are y'all seeing? Uh, we hear a lot about taking care of their bodies. So where does therapeutic massage and even these massage guns come into come into play? Absolutely. I think um, nowadays you're seeing it across the board um, in every, you know, setting level of sport. There is therapeutic massage guns or therapeutic massage in general um, being utilized on a weekly basis. I can speak um, on being here. We have massage therapists come in two times a week for our guys um, on our player day off and then about 48 to 72 hours before the game, depending on the week's schedule. Um, And they're offered in 30 to an hour increments. Um, We bring in roughly five to six and our guys love them. They utilize them for recovery a little bit on Tuesday, as well as a a bit of a a final flush before the game on Sunday. Um, And that they, they utilize them immensely. I mean, there's not a time that those time slots aren't full. And even some of our guys on top of that will supplement with somebody coming to their own private home and doing things, um, you know, maybe Thursday or Saturday before a game. So everybody kind of has their own routine when it comes to massage. 
but I can tell you it's a very well-liked um, set of tools that we have in our toolbox now um, that we're able to offer the guys. And for the massage guns, I think there's a lot of different companies that are out there branding themselves now. I know that obviously Hyperice and Hypervolt are a sponsor of the NFL. So we have a ton of their stuff um, on hand here, but even guys who don't utilize them here, they have them at their house. Their wife has them at their house, you know, their kids use them, whatever it might be. And they've gotten a lot less expensive. So from a cost standpoint, I think they originally started at like $500, $600. They weren't so obtainable for the average person, you know, and they don't, they they can't be filed under insurance or anything like that. But, you know, now they're running anywhere from two, even maybe like 150 to 200, $300, which is part of the reason I think you're seeing them a little bit more kind of everywhere in the gyms. And there's recovery centers now that have all that stuff, you know, on hand that you can go in and, and pay for a 30 to 60 minute session and, and use things like the Norma Tech boots, the Hypervolt gun, there may be a massage therapist or somebody that does like passive stretching. So all that stuff is just becoming so much more widely available for, for everyone, um, kind of everywhere, especially with the cost of that stuff decreasing okay. compared to when it first came out. Okay. Talk just a little bit about it. What's a, and they're different brands. We're not selling brands today, but they're, <laughs> the Norma Tech is a name and where yes. they are, Explain a little bit about what they do. When you walk in somewhere, you see uh, usually a long leg apparatus. Absolutely. So multiple brands obviously make those. um, But essentially what they are, they are long sleeves for, they make them for your arms and for your legs. Um, They actually make them for your hips as well. But what they do is they have um, like pockets in which that that inflate and you can set them to different levels. So they start at the feet. Let's, we'll use the lower extremity as an example. They start at the feet and they go all the way up to, pretty high up on your um, quad. And what they'll do is they inflate and they they provide a lo- level of compression. And then they move up the, the chain and they will intermittently go up and down from the foot all the way up to the top of your leg. And they help with recovery. They, they help with a little bit of blood flow. You can set them pretty high um, or you can set them pretty like low in terms of the compression level. Um, and what they do is they help with blood flow. They help with recovery. We've seen them u- used a ton in, with inflammation and things like that, just helping pump some of that stuff out of the system. It takes about 20 to 30 minutes. But again, we have guys who, who sleep in them, you know, they'll, they'll go home at night and they'll, they'll spend 45 minutes sleeping and them going or they'll fall asleep in them when they're watching film and things like that. So they're, they're widely used and really widely available now. And like I said, the cost of them has gone down uh, tremendously. Hopefully they won't fall asleep while they're watching film. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So something that, um, has our scope of practice as athletic trainers has, uh, changed, uh, this year and uh, dry needling is something that's been added to that. But what, uh, Usually this was something that was just found in acupuncture offices or the chiropractors were uh, permitted to use it. But now athletic trainer and then physical therapist and then now athletic trainers can add dry needling. So what's the what's the purpose of this? Uh, what's it used for? So I've seen some athletes, well, they on a particular Tuesday, they have their dry needling session. Absolutely. So it can be used for a wide variety of things. Um, for those who don't know, it's a really thin microfilament needle. Um, it's typically used in muscles, ligaments, uh, tendons, some scar tissue, um, and it's all for the management of like a pain syndrome. So uh, anyone who is certified in dry needling that has gone through the appropriate certifications and training um, per your state, specifically in Florida, um, you are able to utilize that on your patients. Um, and basically what it entails is we use it a ton for recovery and we use it as well for post-injury as well to try to initiate some 
blood flow to the area. So we'll, there's trigger point needling. There is um, like the uh, in and out method where you specifically dry needle an area and take the needle out right away um, just to allow for an, like a jump start to the system, if you will. But we use it a lot for um, recovery on Tuesdays. Like I said, we offer it on Tuesdays and Fridays as well in conjunction with our massage therapy here. And we use it for a wide variety of things for muscle stiffness um, or if somebody's got a trigger point muscle that has maybe lit up for them that is enable, or, uh, inhibiting them from um, performing at the level they want. We're able to dry needle that. Feel good as well. It's not overly pleasant when it's potentially happening, but it, the results on the back end, people feel really, really good following those results. Um, but we do typically use it in areas that guys are having some concerns in terms of tightness, soreness, um, or just like the inability to kind of achieve the range of motion that they're looking for. A lot of our guys use it for that as well. Yeah, very good. Uh, the body's an amazing roadmap of nerves, blood vessels, all those things. So as, as you learn, and you do have to have special certifications for these, um, for using dry needling and some of the other things that you are involved with. But so it's a, it's a, there's a lot of education involved with this. And then there's a lot of the, what is the practical application? So I'm going to throw one extra in there that I didn't send you previously, but I think you are aware of is just cupping. Um, mm -hmm. you know, cupping, uh, I got to go to course last year and just to practice the techniques and that, but what's, what's cupping used for you? Sometimes you see these athletes, Michael Phelps, uh, at the Olympics, he looked like he had all these big whelps on him. And mm -hmm. so what's that all about? There's a lot of different versions of cupping. Um, there's things like called fire cupping. I think that's probably what initially took off in the Michael Phelps era of, uh, when he arrived with, to the Olympics with all those cups on his back. Um, that uses a glass cup um, with a cotton swab dipped in alcohol actually lit on fire and it creates a suction on the skin. Um, that's a pretty intense treatment. I don't know very many people that um, are doing that these days, especially in an athletic training room with a lot of things going on. But you have soft and hard cups. So you have hard cups that are plastic, typically rigid. You can apply those and let them sit for anywhere from eight to 10 minutes. You just have to monitor the skin. And then you have soft cups as well um, that move kind of with the skin and with the myofascial layers within the body. The whole purpose of it, fire cupping to hard cupping to soft cupping, is to lift myofascial layers. Um, your body, especially being an athlete, you can get, you know, kind of junked up in there, for lack of a better word, and things aren't laying properly and, you know, things are getting stuck. They're not gliding the appropriate way for you to get the best result for how you should feel. Um, and so cupping, in an essence, does a suction um, at the... Uh, when the cup meets the skin. And then from there, you would lift the cup off of like while keeping the suction, creating a little bit of like a separation from the skin and the myofascial layers. And then you would pace um, kind of the skin moving back and forth in line with the muscles that you're treating. And it lifts and relays some of those myofascial layers to help you kind of aid in that gliding a bit better. Touch real quickly on uh, lasers and wave therapy. You're using uh, uh, those types of devices as well. Yes, sir. So we have um, a shockwave here, um, and then we also have two lasers. So we're very, very fortunate, obviously. Laser is um, something that's been coming up, you know, over the course of time, and different brands have obviously come out and done their own thing with it. And I think the biggest benefit is it, you know, works at the cellular level. It also allows for a bit of a warming sensation. So the laser, when it comes out, is warm. Um, you have to be very careful, obviously, to take the appropriate parameters when performing it, but it comes out as a warming sensation, but it also helps at the 
cellular level um, to kind of, again, it treats that pain uh, syndrome in the body and it allows for a reset almost, if you will. You have to kind of use it over time though. It's not like a one and done treatment deal. It's typically anywhere between like six and 12 treatment sessions before you see the full effects of a laser. Um, We use it a lot in the mornings, especially trying to get guys warm, ready to go as, you know, if they're battling any kind of injury or anything like that, it, it's a bit of a warming technique, but also allows for us to have that part of rejuvenation at the cellular level that uh, some of our other modalities just don't uh, award us with. And then our shockwave therapy, we're using that a ton now more days. Um, we, we typically use that, I'd say Monday and Thursday are kind of our go-to days for that, assuming we're playing on Sunday. Um, and we use that again for areas of pain, areas of inhibition that are kind of causing specific things to shut down within the body. And it does a really great job. Um, you're really not supposed to use it more, though more than like two to three times a week. Um, we, we, we are on the side of caution there with two, but guys about 48 hours after having shockwave therapy performed, say they feel immensely better. Couple, let's talk just for a moment about, uh, post-activity recovery. We see athletes using ice baths, uh, deep cooling devices, even relaxation beds. What are you, what's your experience and what's your, what are you using these days? Uh, we are truly using all of those. Um, so we have a cryotherapy machine uh, um, in-house here. We're, we're very fortunate to have that. And we have a cold water um, immersion tub. We've actually, uh, it's pretty big. I would say it's probably our most used tool in the facility because guys are able to do that on their own time. You know, they don't have to have a set and it really only takes like 10 minutes to, to get the effects of it. We are, we use that as mostly a recovery tool. We do have some guys who will kind of get it get in it in the morning to wake them up a little bit. They'll do like a quick deep dive plunge all the way head in and head out and then they get out. Um, but for the most part, we're seeing it post-practice, post-games as a tool to aid in recovery, um, kind of help with that immediate post-practice, post-game soreness. It, it kind of flips the system pretty quick. It's fairly cold in there. So, so they're using that a lot. Um, our cryotherapy machine does get a lot of use. Our guys like to use it a lot when they, um, the night before a game, if we're home, because it actually helps with a really good night's sleep as well. So they're able to get that recovery that they need while also kind of enhancing their their sleep ability that night before. And then relaxation beds, we have a float tank here. So it is a sensory deprivation tank. Um, it's filled maybe a total of three to four feet at most, um, but it's filled with salt. So basically what it is, is when you get in the buoyancy of it, you're able to float. Um, and we use that a lot for relaxation. We use that a lot for guys who um, maybe have some muscle stiffness or, or in spasm a little bit. We kind of send them in there after we've treated them to just go chill out, relax, kind of get back into the zone of just feeling better. Um, but that's a that's a very uh, used tool as well for kind of recovery, especially on Mondays and Tuesdays, like if we're playing on Sunday or if we've just come off playing on Sunday. Okay, so it's the deep cooling that the... A uh, hydrogen chamber that they go in mm-hmm. and they're in there for what, five minutes or so? Um, it depends on the temperature of it. So when we first turn it on, it's typically the coldest. The more you use it throughout the day, it's harder for it to keep up at that level of cold. But really, it's only two minutes. It takes anywhere from two to five minutes at most. Um, they go in there with special suit, special shoes, gloves, um, a covering over their face things like that, just to protect them from how cold it can get in there. Um, I've seen it go up to negative 180 in there, but as low as like negative 120, like I said, it kind of depends on the usage throughout the day. And they, they really only need to be in there for two to five minutes at most. 
That's just uh, amazing. And I'm sure when you new, move into your new facility this summer, that you'll have those and more uh, new toys to, to help in. in we are definitely excited to get to get over there. We've been watching it get built for, for quite some time. So <laughs> I, I look forward to the tour at some point. So thank oh, you. Of and course. That. So, so we've you've you've worked at the college and professional level. Uh, we, we'll say the high end of things. Somebody listening to this podcast may say, well, I don't have access to any of that stuff. I I've taught people for the longest time that your hands are the best therapeutic intervention that you have available. And so what recommendation would you make to uh, a young high school athletic trainer as to what are some of the tools that you can afford and you should have in your toolkit at that uh, at that setting? Absolutely. Um, I think your hands, like you had mentioned, are, are really crucial and they're free, right? You know, everybody's, everybody's got hands to use and they're accessible a lot of the time. Um, I would say some cups, they typically, they can run pretty inexpensive um, and they're a great tool to have. And that also frees your hands up. So you can put those cups on for five to 10 minutes and then you're able to kind of go treat another patient or do some other things. But a big thing for me and in the places, you know, I've obviously been and seen is is, is movement. So movement's also for the most part free and having a couple of TheraBands, things like that, that create a bit of resistance that can, you know, teaching how to correctly move uh, that can help your patient's outcome immensely rather than just having them kind of sit on the table and using that exercise almost as a medicine, similar to your hands that it is for the most part, uh, it's free. So teaching them to move functionally and in an appropriate manner you'll honestly get better results from from that stuff than having all the fancy tools that, you know, we're fortunate enough to have. But at the end of the day, it's about how they move and, and how they're able to move in a pain-free range that gets them back on the field. We've gone from the days of just putting them in a cast and then putting them in a boot. And now we're uh, learning active motion is, uh, protected act, active motion is, is helpful uh, for healing and gets the blood flowing and gets them back on the field as, as quickly as possible, but as safely as possible. Absolutely. So we're a, we're a sports safety advocacy program. So what kind of, what would your message be to parents um, encouraging their children to participate in sports and to do it in a safe manner? I think, um, you know, from a young age, I was obviously really active in sports. It's actually not the reason I became an athletic trainer, contrary to most athletic trainers journeys. It, it allows for an ability to, you know, have fun while staying active and being with your friends in whatever sport it is. Um, it's a way for, for the young kids to be outside, inside, moving around in a safe manner. Um, but it also allows for the ability to work through some adversities that just innately come with sport. And that's, you know, part of what becoming an adult is like, and it just prepares you better for the the world that's ahead of you. Um, I think it also facilitates friendships beyond maybe just the classroom or the kids who have lived down the street from you. I just, I think it allows for so many different people from so many different backgrounds to be able to come together on any given field or court any any day of the week and, and do what they love and have some fun while they're doing it. And don't, you know, injuries happen, but I wouldn't say that they they're an eight part of sport, but they're not, you know, the the end of someone's career. That's why athletic trainers are around and we're able to kind of, you know, help and facilitate keeping people healthy and getting people back when they might not be as healthy as they want to be. One uh, one quick encouragement, uh, the NATA, excuse me, the National Athletic Trainers Association, the profession of athletic training is over 50% female. So you're in a very unique position as uh, one of two females uh, staff members in, with the Jaguars. 
So what, what encouragement would you have for uh, these young ladies that want to get in the profession or that are in it? And education, life balance, uh, pursue your dreams, uh, be passionate. Uh, what would you have to offer there? Absolutely. Um, like Jim said, you know, more than 50% of the population now as athletic trainers are females. Um, I think for me, it was about hard work and kind of setting goals really young to know where I potentially wanted to end up and taking some of those risks that were associated with, with getting, you know, to where I wanted to be. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, I would say it's a lot of hard work, but it's a lot of fun work. I don't think there's a day that goes by that even on your worst days, you're not having some of the most fun you've ever had because you are fortunate enough to, to work around people who want to be better and want to get better. And, and you have a staff behind you that's just as, you know, good at getting people better as, as anybody. Um, but I really think it's, it's network. It's, it's get yourself out there, put yourself, um, in situations that make you uncomfortable, even, even when you don't want to. And, um, I think it's just working hard and, and setting yourself up for some of those goals, write them down, put them on a goal board, whatever it might be. And then when opportunities arise that maybe allow you to take one step closer to that goal, um, taking them, even if they make you a little bit uncomfortable or if it's maybe in a place you've never been or never even heard of. Excellent advice. Uh, someone told me last week that uh, your work ethic is one of the biggest things on your resume. And uh, certainly you all do put in the time and the effort, but provide the passion and the care and the compassion that's needed. Um, athletic trainers are a family in many ways. And so um, we all learn from one another. So it's great to have you here today. Thank you so much, uh, Devin. And we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Youth Sports Safety Update produced by JSMP. Make sure your school or sports team is safely prepared with a certified licensed athletic trainer. Please check out our website at jaxsmp.com. Your host and producer today is Jim Mackey. Please join us again and please stay safe. Thank you. Thank you, Jim.